welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro, the Japanese Film Club podcast. I am your host for this episode, Alex Kazanis, and with me, as always, are my lovely co-hosts, Joey Weiser. Hello, lovely Alex. <laughs> and Scott Dryman. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and uh, this month we're going to be talking about uh, The Hidden Fortress by Akira Kurosawa. <laughs> Fortress. This is a um, this is a this uh, is a timely episode, I'd say, right? Um, oh yeah. New Star Wars. New Star Wars comes out this month, and uh, and this movie, uh, Hidden Fortress, is the uh, sole inspiration—not the sole inspiration, but uh, one of the many inspirations that George Lucas has cited for Star Wars, um, the first movie at least, and. Um, it was released in Japan in 1958, released in the U.S. in 1960, um, like a kind of a small release and then a wider release in uh, 61. Um, this is a uh, this is um, one of uh, Kurosawa's most regarded films, which is fun to say because pretty much all of his films are are, are crackerjack. But um, yeah, yeah, it's a weird scale. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, um, talked about Kurosawa a bunch in the Ikiru episode, um, so I'm going to, uh, so I, I would recommend listeners go back and listen to that if you want to hear more about, um, more about the director. Uh, so I'm going to jump right into the cast, uh, because we have, we have a bunch of, bunch of Kurosawa mainstays. Mm -hmm. Um, Tahei is played by, uh, Minoru Chiaki. Um, he appeared in, uh, a lot of Kurosawa movies, uh, not, not limited to and including, uh, Rashomon, Ikiru. Um, he was Haihachi, one of the samurai, in Seven Samurai. Um, and uh, he was also in The Human Condition, which we've mentioned on the show before, right? Yeah, a few times, I think. Yeah. Uh, and he was also in the third uh, Miyamoto Musashi movie, uh, Duel on Gandhi Island, which is my personal favorite of the three. Um, he plays the boatman that takes uh, Toshi Mifune's character, uh, Miyamoto Musashi, to, um, to Gandhi Island for his duel with uh, uh, Sasaki Kojiro. Uh, Mata Shichi is played by Kamatari Fujiwara. Uh, like most of the cast, he's a frequent collaborator of Kurosawa. He was in Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, uh, Sanjiro, Ikiru, Kagemusha. Um, he was also in uh, Juzo Itami's The Funeral, uh, which uh, he played a cameo. It was his final role before he passed away. Um, hopefully we cover that sh uh, on the show as well. Mm. Um, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, yeah, this guy in particular, I was like, it was driving me crazy. I was like, man, he looks so familiar. And then I finally looked him up and I was like, okay, yeah, I can't pinpoint the one movie I was thinking of. It's just that I've seen him in a ton of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's got a pretty extensive resume. Um, and speaking of, uh, playing the part of uh, Makabe Rokuota, Rokurota, <laughs> is Toshio Mifune. The, uh, we all know Mifune. Uh, or as uh, some people say, Mifuni. Mm. Uh, I was listening to the commentary <laughs> of this, of, uh, of Hidden Fortress, and, um, and the guy... Uh, uh, I guess he's like a scholar of film. I uh, kept referring to him as Mifuni, which is super funny. Um, anyway, he was a frequent collaborator, obviously, of Kurosawa. Um, he was in 16 of his films. Um, obviously, Seven Samurai, uh, Yojimbo, Rashomon. Uh, he also appeared in our previous Musashi episode, so mm -hmm. uh, go back and check that out if you want to know more about that. Um, 
Princess Yuki was played by Misa Oahara. Uh, this was her debut role, and she was in several films over the course of, of just two years before she left acting altogether. Um, so she had a very, um, very short career. Hmm. Um, I uh, didn't really look into why, but, uh, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because she, like, she's greatness. Yeah, she's a very striking presence. <laughs> That's, yeah. I was, trying to, uh, I was trying to figure out, like, a clever pun for her name because she screams all the time. <laughs> yeah, that tone of voice that she has is incredible because it's always at that same level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I hate, you know, I hate to sort of say it, but it's kind of a relief that she plays a mute, as we'll be talking about uh, for a long part of it, because sometimes her yeah. voice could be grating. <laughs> I uh, I had the same exact sentiment. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God you're mute. This is fantastic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, uh, now here's a... Uh, so General uh, Tadakoro, played by uh, Susumu Fujita, who has an interesting history with um, with Kurosawa. Um, so uh, he, was, he played the title role in Kurosawa's debut film, uh, Sanshiro Sugata. And he had... Um, a long absence from Kurosawa's movies uh, when he left Toho during um, there was a famous strike. Mm. Uh, so he and several others formed uh, a new um, a new company, Shin Toho, which is literally new Toho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when that contract expired, he returned to play uh, this role, Tadakoro, and um, and others in Kurosawa's uh, films moving forward, uh, like Yojimbo, uh, High and Low, and he was in other films such as uh, Mothra vs. Godzilla. Mm. Um, uh, Tora Tora Tora, the famous World War II film, and Detective Story, which I think we've also mentioned on the show before. Uh, and he's also been in several Ultraman films for Tokusatsu oh, okay. or something. Uh, and I, of course, wouldn't, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the, ro- the small role of General Nakagura, uh, Nagakura, played by Takashi Shimura, our friend. <laughs> Yeah. Who I think, who I think, uh, we were discussing this uh, last week, um, uh, prior to recording this. Uh, he's been a th- in a third of our movies that we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a nice, uh, comfy jacket that we <laughs> well worn at this point. Yeah. 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 I realized that. Like, I realized um, that in the last two years, I've seen more movies with him in it than any other actor, <laughs> uh, contemporary or no. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Of course, I blame this show, but uh, <laughs> you credit the show. <laughs> credit the show. There you go. That's much better. Crediting it. Um, so uh, briefly, uh, I, uh, the music of this movie. Um, I'll talk about it. it. Is it was composed by uh, Masaru Sato, um, who composed the score for many of Kurosawa's films: uh, Yojimbo, Sanjo, High and Low, Throne of Blood, to name a few. Um, during his 44-year association with Toho Studios, uh, he wrote more than 300 film scores, which is insane. Uh, and he also composed music for, I think, three or four Godzilla movies. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a, both being Toho productions, there's a lot of, like, Kurosawa-Godzilla crossover. Yeah, like, you'll see, you'll see a lot of recycled actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way movie studios were back then regardless like they they held the claim to several actors and that's how it was in the states anyway so mm-hmm. i can i can only assume that it was very yeah, similar. japan had a very similar studio system where you had these like long-term contracts where you were assigned to a specific studio no that makes sense um yeah that makes a lot of sense especially uh, uh given uh fujita's history with toho 
Um, <clears throat> Susumu Fujita, not the not the director, <laughs> of course. Uh, so uh, I wanted to do a thing about um, the Star Wars analogs, but um, we can do that after. Okay. After the uh, the synopsis, mm-hmm. it's it'd be much easier that way. All right. Um, so the movie opens um, on uh, Tahe and Matashichi. Um, they are two uh, two warriors for um, for the Yamana clan, who uh, interestingly enough were late to the war. Um, <laughs> so uh, at that point, they're then taken. They're uh, they're mistaken for soldiers of the uh, Akizuki clan uh, who were warring with the Yamanas. And at that point, they're forced to um, bury the other dead bodies. Uh, there's a whole lot of um, there's a lot of banter between between these two characters uh, throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it's argued, of course, that that they're the comic relief of the movie. But since they're in it so much, uh, I could argue that they're kind of the main protagonist. I wouldn't say the protagonist, but yeah. we basically see the, the movie through their eyes for the most part. I'd honestly argue they're the villains of the movie because almost everything <laughs> bad that happens is because of them. Yeah. The, yeah. There's, they're the, they're in some, in some ways they're the comic relief in some ways they're kind of the heart of the movie, but in some ways they're the most frustrating element of the movie as well. Right. Well, I mean, note, I didn't call them protagonists Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. because they're definitely not that, um, would you call this movie a comedy, by the way? Because the uh, uh, the guy who uh, who was doing the commentary for this movie on the Criterion uh, DVD was referring to this movie as a comedy. I was, I, I don't know. I could I, see an argument for that. You know, as we go through it, I mean, it it ends on a pretty kind of like jokey note, and it has a lot of kind of antics. I wouldn't uh, call it a straight up comedy, but this is definitely like an action romp. Uh, there's a lot of points where uh, Mifune running around reminded me a lot of like Errol Flynn action movies and kind of in oh, that yeah. vein of like lighthearted action, but I wouldn't call it straight up comedy. No, no, I, uh, yeah, I'll agree with you there. Uh, comparing him and Errol Flynn in this movie is actually really great. I can't wait. I can't wait till we get to that bit. Um, so, uh, so now they're forced to, um, bury these dead bodies. Uh, and uh <laughs> they um they split up after after an argument and then eventually are captured um and forced to dig for gold uh in the Akazuki castle the defeated Akazuki castle apparently there's gold here so everybody should dig um uh in the meantime they uh, uh well prior to getting um getting captured of course uh they uh they see a sign for uh for the bounty of the escaped princess Yuki of the Akizuki clan. Uh, there's a bounty on her head, um, so they note that. Um, so after they uh, are forced to dig for gold, uh, there's a bit of a revolt, and um, and they escape. Uh, this is uh, The scene where they escape is actually, uh, I think, amazing. Um, it's, it's like a running of the bulls type situation. Uh, I've, like, there's... There's got to be like a hundred extras, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's scene. just a huge crowd of people. And like, the shot's pretty fascinating. Yeah, um, we 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 ought to bring this up now, I guess. But uh, Chris, I was shooting style. Um, uh, Joey, you linked uh, me and and Scott to this video, um, this YouTube video, uh, every frame of painting, uh, talking about 
uh, Kurosawa's filming style and how uh, how movement is a big a big element. Um, yeah, yeah, using movement to go from shot to shot uh, in a way that makes it feel very seamless. Interesting. Yeah, yeah we tweeted it out on our uh, Toho Yara account as well. So uh, dig back a few weeks and you'll find it there. <laughs> yeah. And this scene, the way it's shot also is very like, it's it's frantic and it, it almost seems hand, handy cam at some point. Um, it really gives you the, it, it's kind of claustrophobic and, uh, well, all these scenes are a little claustrophobic, especially when they're digging for the gold. But yeah. uh, in the uh, in this escape scene, it's it's just like, oh my God, I hope no, no I mean, like nobody was like hurt during the filming of this scene because it's, it's yeah, such just a dog a pile. crowd of people. Yeah. So Matashichi, Matashi, uh, Matashichi and Tahe es- barely escape. They, <laughs> uh, fortune smiles upon them and, um, and they, they, um, they miss this, uh, this riot completely. Um, so uh, eventually they, they're kind of stranded, uh, in the wilderness a bit camping out. And as they're, finding wood to burn they end uh they end up upon a, a piece of gold stuck inside of wood and they realize this has the akizuki crest on it so there's got to be more and this is probably the gold that they were talking about um uh earlier when they wanted us to dig so as they are uh as they're trying to find more um they happen upon a uh a drifter um Played, of course, by Toshiro Mifune. This is uh, this is his character. Um, yeah, man. His, appear- his it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to talk about one part- like particular shot, which I know is kind of hard to describe over a podcast. But like that, I think I know what you're talking about. He first shows up, and he's kind of in the <laughs> distance, and he's yeah. kind of like in a little frame, and he's got his legs spread apart and his arms kind of out, so he like has a very like distinct silhouette, uh, and he's kind of in between the two guys arguing. Uh, it's just super great. Like I love that uh, framing so much. Yeah, he's yeah. his silhouette and kind of the way he stands reminds me a whole lot of Peter Pan, the Disney Peter Pan <laughs> <Yes>. movie. <laughs> also, his outfit. Yeah. Oh God, yeah, his outfit. <laughs> it's basically like a uh, a romper. Yeah, Amy yeah. kept like referring a... to it as booty shorts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're cinched up real tight uh, for sure. Yeah, I suppose it's like a jean bay, right? Like. Uh, mm. Well, not 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 exactly a Jean Bay, but um, God, if I did if I if I did further research, I'd be able to tell you exactly what he's wearing. But yeah, uh, um, yeah, his his appearance, his first appearance is super funny. Um, it's <laughs> you have it, it takes you like a second. Um, uh, and eventually, uh, they notice that he's following them, and uh, at night, they they finally like think that they lose him, uh, and they start a fire, and he just kind of shows up. Uh, and sits down at their fire, and they're like, "Uh, hey, who are you?" And he just doesn't really say anything. And they eventually reveal their plan that well, they need to get back to uh, Hayakawa, um, and uh, in order to do so, they need to cross into Yamana territory. And um, when he first shows oh. at the up at the fire, I just wanted to mention real quick is one of my yeah, yeah. favorite comedy beats where he just walks up and sits down and then they're nudging each other to confront him. And that gag where they're like, Hey, and he turns around with his like fierce look and they're like, so, uh, how's it going? Yeah. Yeah, It's, ah, God, it's, this movie is, is full of, full of, um, little bits like that. Uh, there's a lot of those moments where someone 
is doing something in front of somebody else, and it seems like they should just say, like, hey, what are you doing? But, like, it kind of goes on for a little bit longer than you think it should, so... I don't, yeah, I don't that know. happens. That happens a bunch in the movie. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, we'll point those out as we go uh, a little bit because, um, and they're always, almost always, uh, involving uh, Tahe and Matashichi. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, <laughs> so he uh, likes this idea, and he's like, "Okay, um, well, let's go." Uh, and they set off the next day um, to uh, uh, to uh, this drifter's hideout. Um, and this is a super funny scene. I think, um, this is, this is like Abbott and Costello-esque, I would call it, uh, where, uh, he's like this way and they end up, uh, just going up this, this mountain or this hill and getting super exhausted and they find him already on the other side and they end up following him and he takes them through the shortcut that he took and they freak out about it. (laughs) Uh, I know I did a very piss poor job at explaining that scene, but. Uh, yeah, them climbing the mountain is this. like shown in excruciating detail to the point where I was even kind of like, man, we're really going to take our uh, like the whole trip up that mountain. But then it <laughs> pays off in the in the idea that like you see how exhausting it was for them to climb it and then for him to be like, why'd you do it that way? There's a shortcut right here. Uh, God, I, I felt exhausted watching that scene. <laughs> like like they do such a good job. Like they're god their facial acting is incredible yeah and and they are comic relief but i want to point out like toshiro mifune has amazing comic timing in this yeah yeah that he like uh, rokurota is a a very funny character himself yeah he's it's it's interesting um he is a very interesting character he is like it it goes to show you the the kind of range that mifune has just just in general because I feel like he plays several different characters in this movie, but it's not, you know, they're all, of course, one facet, or different facets of the same character. Um, so they're 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 here for a while, and he makes them cook rice and and kind of, uh, you know, physical labor and 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 the like. Um, and uh, they see a girl. Uh, they kind of happen upon a girl, and they sort of suppose that this girl is Princess Yuki. Uh, so, uh, God, I forget who, Tahe or Matashichi. Because they, <laughs> they're both like a pair. It's really hard for me to uh, remember. Who, I think Matashichi goes um, and he sa- uh, to um, rat this girl out to collect this bounty. Because he's like, oh, well, this is probably Princess Yuki. We should, we should go check this out. And... Um, Rokurot is pretty pissed, and where did he go? Oh, he went to go and rat this girl out, and he's like, you fool. Uh, she's already been captured. So Matashichi comes back, or Matashichi, as as he's uh, called in the movie, um, and uh, uh, turns out that uh, Princess Yuki's always, already been captured, um, so don't have to worry about that. <laughs> uh, and uh, Rokurota, uh, oh, I forgot to mention the uh, the bit where uh, they ask him who he is. He says he's uh, Makabe uh, Rokurota, and of course they don't believe him because that's a legendary general. There's no there's no way that you're this guy. Like, yeah, he doesn't even have a samurai leg. sword. Why would he yeah. be a samurai general? Yeah, yeah. So of course he laughs at this. Like, oh God, Mifune's got such a great laugh. Um, to like, uh, which is great because like I think at this point, like, well, we don't know who he is, but 
that laugh could either mean like, oh, wow, you guys don't believe me or haha, I am just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then we find out that he is, in, in fact, uh, the general uh, Makabe Rokurota. He um, goes behind a waterfall, which is always, always a cool device for me. Uh, and um, and there where we meet uh, Princess Yuki, the real Princess Yuki. Um, and he reveals that uh, his sister Kofuyu did her duty, um, which was sacrificing herself um, in uh, uh, on behalf of the princess herself. Yeah, posing um, as the princess yeah. and being executed. Yep. And Yuki does not take kindly to this at all. Um, she doesn't which is noble, <laughs> you know, what will calls Rokuroto an idiot and uh, goes off and has, has a really great moment actually um, uh, where she kind of, she uh, she's atop the fortress looking out and uh, the uh, Akizuki crest is, uh, is sort of uh, interspersed with, with her um, having, having a moment, uh, an emotional moment about this. Yeah. Which which uh, which is actually really good that they showed that I think like right off the top of the bat. Yeah, I really love that scene. I I love that uh, she also um, like Mifune like has a very distinctive stance. You know, with her legs apart and holding on often to this like rod or grass or something like that, uh, yes. and like looks very strong and powerful. And and there's this really beautiful shot of her like looking over the you know, mountain onto the you know, forest below and it looks like really cool. And like just that in its own right was like an excellent uh, shot where I was like, Oh man, this is great. And it really like communicates her strength. Uh, But then we also then get the sort of counterpoint to that with her uh, crying and, and the, and the crest over her face in a very dramatic looking uh, way. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating because she, it, it explains that she was kind of raised as a son by her, by the the Lord because he didn't have an heir. So she's got all these kind of like coarse tomboy sensibilities, but still has a core of compassion Mm -hmm. and they illustrate that really well early on. Yeah. Um, She does have this air about her, the entire, the entirety of the film. This just, uh, she just exudes strength and it's definitely how she carries herself. Um, But it could also be attributed to her eyebrows (laughs) <laughs> which are always <laughs> mad looking. Yeah, both hers <laughs> and and uh, Mifune's eyebrows in this are very pronounced and reminded me of like original series uh, Star Trek aliens because it seems oh, like yeah. they might have borrowed a lot of that for both the Vulcans, Romulans, and Klingons. Oh yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good observation. I um, also noted that. Mifune's facial hair in this movie uh, is like symmetrical with his eyebrows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, that was just something I, I, I put down in my notes. Um, so uh, Rokurota has a meeting with um, with uh, Nagakura, um, our, our friend Takashi Shimura, and um, and uh, her lady in waiting as well. And they discuss that uh, these peasants came up with this really great idea um, to. Uh, to cross the border. So um, we should bring the princess with us and she can pose as a mute. And there's this great scene where Yuki comes back in and 
uh, Rokurota tries to use, uh, um, oh my God, reverse psychology. Fart. Reverse psychology. Where Rokurota tries to use reverse psychology on on Yuki, and she sees through it, but she's like, "But, um, but I'll go along with it because, like, it's a good idea." Yeah. Um. So now we're uh, now the party has has been formed. Uh, Marashichi, Tahe, and uh, and Rokurota and Yuki are the four of them. Uh, they of course think that she's a mute for the entirety of this movie. Yeah. Um she she's very convincing. Uh So as they as they walk, uh this is the first of many times where where Onashichi and Tahe decide, "Hey, let's not do this. Let's they're getting cold feet. We let's just escape." Um Oh, I should probably mention the fact that uh, Rokuroto mentions to him, "By the way, uh, all those tasks that I had you doing, that was a test." Mm-hmm. Um because we have a whole bunch of gold, and uh, we need manpower to carry it across the border. And uh, and you guys passed the test. Uh, so um, he brings them to the spring uh, that they had crossed earlier, and that's where all the gold, uh, the gold inside the uh, wooden sticks was hidden. Um, did I mention the gold earlier? Yeah. Yeah. You did. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, they Just... found it, and, and and yeah, I think it's important worth noting that like they they are never clued in uh, that this is that Yuki is a princess. They no. entirely think that this party is just to sort of smuggle the gold across the border. Yeah, they do yeah. suspect until he until Matashi, uh gets back with the news that the princess has been beheaded. But after that, they never again suspect at all that. Yuki is actually the princess, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they uh, they decide to escape. Um, uh, they flee, uh, but then they're spotted. Uh, they tried to ford ford the river uh, across the border, um, past the checkpoint, but they're spotted and shot at. Um, and of course, they run back the way they came, uh, and. Rokuro decides, well, let's, well, this is, we're boned. Let's go back to the fortress. Um, but they can't because it's burning now. Uh, they had gotten to it. Um, the opposing side had gotten to it. And, um, and now that there's, there's no, there's literally nowhere else for them to go, but straight through. Uh, so this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, uh, where they go through the checkpoint. Mm. Um, I should mention that they have horses now uh, as well to carry the gold. Yeah. Uh, they're all uh, they're all suited up with with the wood uh, the wood gold, uh, and uh, and their horses are are filled. To, three horses are filled to the brim, filled to the brim. Yeah, like the horses are filled. <laughs> what I mean to say, of course, is that uh, you know there's there's piles and piles of wood on these horses. It's fine. Uh, so they decide to go straight through the checkpoint. Uh, Dokurota breaks open one of the sticks and says, "Hey, look what I found on the mountain." Um, it's got the Akazuki crest, so they uh, the guards bring bring the party to the uh, to the checkpoint guy, um, or is it, or is he a daimyo? I don't know. Uh, either way, um, they bring it to the checkpoint guy, and uh, and he's like, "Whoa, there's got to be more." Um, and before they can do anything about it, uh, Rokota makes a huge scene and says, "Hey, that's my gold. Give it back." 
Get back or I want a reward and uh, basically creates a huge diversion for everyone to just everyone else to go through. And uh, he finally gives up and they make their way through the checkpoint and uh, take a beat. And then um, <laughs> and then you have uh, several dudes riding up on horses saying, hey, if you see uh, three, three guys, three horses and, and a girl, um, they're suspects. Catch them. Uh, and uh, checkpoint guys. Uh, got egg, egg, uh, uh, he has egg on his face at this point. Yeah, the look of sheer terror on his face when he realizes that is really good. Yeah, yeah. I love this scene because it, it does a really good job of like being a funny scene and a scene that shows, uh, you know, Rokurota's like cunning and stuff. And then it ends with that, which is also sort of a joke, but also like really immediately kind of ramps up the tension that they're still being pursued, where this could have been like, Ooh, they really outsmarted them, and now they're on their way. Like, it's almost immediately negated, and and they're still on the run. You know? Yeah, this movie, like I described it as a romp, but it's pretty tense because they're you never get the feeling that they are safe. Yeah, from uh, from their pursuers. Yeah. So at this point, uh, at nighttime, they end up um, they end up in the next town over, and uh, you know for a rest and. They ha- they happen upon a uh, like a parlor, uh, and um, Yuki notices a uh, a a slave girl um, who's a farmer's daughter who um, is being uh, severely oppressed, and um, when she comes in, they uh, they complain that that this particular girl doesn't uh, you know she doesn't turn tricks, and so what you know what good is she? Um, but then they notice Yuki. Uh, oh, how much is she? And uh, Matashi and, and Tahe say, "Oh, she's a mute. Don't worry about it." And the guy's like, "Oh, that's too bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the deal breaker." Um, so while they're while they're at this parlor, um, a guy who I, I believe to be a samurai because he's you know dressed in the proper attire and he's got the sword and the top knot, um, he offers to buy. Uh, by um, one of the horses off of Rokurota. And when I, when I say offer, I mean no questions last or anything. Like He basically just takes the horse and gives him uh, five silver pieces. Yeah, yeah. if so you're, no, you're is... a peasant and a, uh, a samurai is offering to make a deal with you, that, that is not a, a choice you make. Yeah, which which sucks, but hey, that's, that's what happens, I guess. Um, so uh, then... They have to. They have to make the decision of like, well, now we have to carry more gold. Uh, how are we going to do it? Um, meanwhile, Yuki uh, demands that that they use some of the gold to buy the uh, buy the un- the unnamed slave girl. Um, she has no name uh, in this movie. Uh, so uh, the farmer's daughter comes along with them uh, and and helps carry the remainder of the gold. A good chunk of it is now carried, uh, like dragged. Um, by Watashi uh, and Tahe, as well as carried on their backs. Yeah, they've, so they've bought a cart that they're oh. pushing by hand. Right, right, it is a cart. <laughs> I, I forgot if it had wheels or not, so I, <laughs> I didn't want to... Yeah, don't they say, like, now we're the horses? That yeah. Funny. <laughs> that was good. Um, so, at this point, uh, they, uh, they're now pursued by the enemy. Um, they're chased... And Rokota springs into action. Um, uh, before really... you get into this, uh, the, uh, 
uh, I'd like to point out there's another gag here where they uh, they're pushing the cart and they're terrified and want to like flee, but uh, Rokurota tells them to calm down. The samurai ride up on horses and ask them if they have seen a group of three men, one woman, and horses, and they're now three men, two women, and a cart. So That's the right. samurai keep going, but then after they're like, haha, this was a great idea. They're not suspicious anymore. The the samurai immediately come back, and that's when uh, that's right. Uh, uh, he's like, "Well, I gotta take care of this now." Yeah, yeah. I I love that play. I caught them up at movie play because it's just like, "Oh, uh, we're on the lookout for a Studebaker that's uh, like a blue Studebaker," and uh, then they paint it like rainbow colors and stuff. Very <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <really> good. That <laughs> can't be it. Yeah. Uh, so there's this really exciting scene um, sequence. It's God, it's so it's there's so much of it too. Um, it just doesn't stop. Uh, Dokurota uh, re- really fights back. Uh, takes one of their horses. Um, uh, it's a really really awesome chase scene. Uh, I was more. I was. I was like really impressed with the fact that it was filmed like th- back then, like that. Yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, was impressed it, it, by uh, Mifune's horsemanship, riding around yeah. with no hands. With- waving a sword around yeah that's him like <laughs> that's that's straight up him yeah with his like, hands clutching the sword and just kind of like grabbing onto the horse by his legs it was very very impressive yeah it's it looks so good too the the shots where the camera is following him and the background is just kind of like blurring with speed uh it's it's uh incredible looking it almost like looks like speed lines or something from like a comic yeah yeah, I had that same thought actually. Uh, so eventually, he he stumbles upon um, a Yamana camp, uh, surrounded by surrounded by guys, uh, um, uh, spear. Uh, uh, they're like spear warriors. Um, and uh, before he can kind of kind of leave, because um, he would have just left, he was surrounded, but he could t- he could take them. Uh, he gets stopped by um, by an old friend in in the form of uh, General Tatakoro. Uh, who uh, who greets him like jubilantly, even though they fought um, they fought against each other uh, on the field of battle. And uh, immediately he's like rematch. And he's like sure. <laughs> it was very very casual uh, at first, and then they have this amazing um, amazing spear battle. Uh, he said, "Oh well, your spear is much better." Um, it's like, "Oh well, take any any of any of theirs." So any. Any any of the soldier spears, and there's this great, great moment where uh, Rokurota is walking around uh, and taking the spears of these soldiers, like trying them out and just throwing them away mm-hmm. until he stumbles upon one that he actually likes. Uh, so they have this really great duel, um, and uh, by the end of it, uh, Rokurota wins um, and spares uh, Tadakoro's life, and. Uh, then leaves and <laughs> just yeah, leaves just and goes straight back out to the camp. Morning. Yeah. yeah. On a horse. And uh, there's a like, we'll meet again. <laughs> sort of, sort of, a sort of bit there. Well, I, yeah. I mean, there's that point where Tadakoro like asks for him to kill him and he refuses. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, it'd be a little insulting uh, to Tadakoro, but it's seen to me at least as, you know, Rokurota taking the higher road of not, Killing his friend just because he lost a duel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And I want to um, I want to remark on how great it is that like you've never seen this character before in this movie, but you already get a sense of how well they know each other mm-hmm. just by the way um, they act towards each other. Yeah. Like without without a whole lot of exposition, like that's that's like that's that's a uh, that's aces right there. Yeah. Uh, so some time passes. Uh, it's it's rainy now. Uh, they're kind of camping out in the wilderness. Once again, Matashi and Tahei decide to leave. They've had it. Like, this is, this is too hard. Uh, so, um, let me right here in my notes. Oh, <laughs> right. Rokurota uh, <laughs> is, like, fine and does the best eye roll I've ever seen in my life. Like, there's this <laughs> amazing eye roll where he's like, fine, I'll find a... You guys can go, have some gold, I'll find a... A uh, receptacle. He has to take your gold in, whatever. Yeah. Um, and as he's off, um, trying to find like a something for them to put their gold in, uh, they notice that Yuki is sleeping, and then they draw straws for some reason. Uh, it's yeah. This uh, makes yeah. They're like draw straws, and wh- whoever gets the short straw will leave for a while. And this makes them such less sympathetic characters because they've been like greedy to this point, but like being rapey is real gross. And yeah, uh, but thankfully that's when the, the farmer's daughter shows back up. Yeah. She has a giant rock. Um, and like they immediately cower. Um, and she's, uh, farmer's daughter is obviously, you know, feels indebted to Yuki, um, for saving her life basically. And, is now ready to lay it on the line for her no matter what, as we're, we'll, we'll see later as well. But uh, she basically stands guard with this rock the entire time, and um, a lot of time passes, and they remark that Rokurota still hasn't returned. Um, uh, so by the time that they, uh, by the time that they do, they end up, um, you know, they end up sticking sticking around with uh, with the rest of the party, uh, and they notice that. Uh, there are villagers headed towards uh, towards the fire festival, which is a oh this is a great chance for us to blend in and lay low for a little bit. So um so they go to the fire festival and this is a this is I, w- I would call a pivotal scene in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, especially for Yuki. Uh, this is a really great um, moment for her, where um where they take part in the fire festival and um and the villagers sing a song, uh. A, a song that's sort of like um it's very similar to uh, the song Ikiru, <laughs> where the uh the overall theme of the song of course is uh life is short um you know it's it's uh, about Buddhist principles and um she uh she dwells on this song you can see her um uh, and uh the rest of them of course get caught up in the fire festival and Bokurota has the idea of throwing their wood in the fire um which is, I think, an excellent move. Uh, well, his earlier plan was to get the gold out of the wood, and he was getting big, like, water-carrying barrels or rice-carrying barrels to put them in. Yeah. But right. then they they ended up, like, they're, it's, they're forced to put the wood in into the bonfire because they're trying to escape with it, and then they just get caught up, and they're like, well, we just have to do this now. Yeah, because they're being seen as suspicious for not wanting to throw their wood in the fire because that's what everybody's doing. 
Yeah, they, yep. they reluctantly join in, but then Yuki like joyfully jo- joins in. Yeah, I love it. I love. It. I mean, you know, I love a uh, festival. You and scene. your festival scenes. <laughs> I yeah, I was totally loving it. And and a uh, thing that we had uh, I'd forgotten to mention in that scene where uh, Rokurota's um, putting one over on the um, border guards uh, by saying like demanding his reward and stuff. I think that's the first time we actually see Yuki kind of smile. She's kind of like seeing what he's doing and is mm-hmm. is into it. Uh, and and then here we get her kind of full on enjoying herself, uh, which is nice. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it is a wonderful scene. <laughs> um, so the next morning they're taking the they they wake up and they go to the smoldering uh, smoldering remains of of what was once the bonfire. And they take um, as much gold as they can, uh, which is not all of it. Mm-mm. So they have to leave some behind, uh, which, of course, our, our friends Matichi and uh, and Tahe are are pretty pretty uh, pretty sad about. Like, oh, well, I can't you bring the rest of the gold with us? It's like, come on, guys, so, this is more gold than you would have like ever seen in your lifetime. Otherwise. Uh... I should be just grateful for what little you are scraping by with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, don't don't quit while you're ahead, man. Or, or, or quit while you're yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of the impression is, like, one uh, Rio is, would be life-changing to a peasant, and they're like, no, we have to have all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, once you see it. Uh, so, they, uh... They, uh... Ba, 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 ba. So they're they're um they're leaving uh through the woods and halfway through Matsushi and Tai are like let's go back and get the rest of the gold. Why not? Um so they go back and uh <laughs> they're they're digging for it and um two guards happen upon them and they're like, "Hey, what are you what are you guys doing?" And they don't really say anything and they just kind of slowly <laughs> back up and slowly back away. Yeah. And then they're chased um, they're chased uh by the guards, and um, they meet the rest of their party back in the woods. Uh, Dokurota are easily subdued to the guards, and they're like, and and he uses this to his advantage, saying, "If you want to live, then pick up some of this stuff and help us." Yeah, just he immediately subjugates them into carrying the gold, which is hilarious. Yeah, instead yeah. of just like killing them or chasing them off. Yeah, well, he could have easily done that, but hey, it's it's a good idea. So they uh they continue to to make their make their way uh and um it's nighttime at this point and uh they um they realize uh they hear um what they hear gunshots no uh Dokurota hears something and it's the it's the enemy soldiers um and at that point the guards just they're like hey help us so they <laughs> yeah and uh this is a shoot first ask questions later mentality uh they they get shot down by their own by their own side uh so uh at that point the um uh sort of a battle sort of ensues and uh Dokurota is saying hey um i'll i'll go ahead and gives yuki uh gives yuki an um uh kunai i believe and um, and it's basically inferred that uh, if something happens, you should you know die with honor and commit seppuku. Uh, 
but of course she refuses. Um, they all, uh, Matashichi and Tahe get, get separated. Um, they end up hiding and, uh, Dokurota, Yuki, and the farmer's daughter end up getting captured, uh, by the Amanas. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, we, uh, cut basically to, actually, no, we don't, we never cut in this movie. We always wipe. It's nothing but wipes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is... Which uh, which I, I definitely will talk about um, when we get to the Star Wars analogs, yeah. but but um, but yeah, uh, like there's there are all the transitions in this movie are are wipes and it's pretty great, uh, moves everything along really fast. Uh, so uh, they are captured by um by none other than uh, Tadokoro, who now is sporting a giant scar on his face, um. Prior to losing the battle with Rokurota, his commanding officer um, punished him. So uh, <laughs> now he has uh, he's taken up the task of um, sentencing uh, these three to death. And during this scene, uh, the farmer's daughter um, tries to play a decoy and saying, "No, I'm I'm the princess." But Yuki speaks up, and um, she says that she prefers to die with dignity. And sings and sings the song from the fire festival. Uh, she remarks that this journey was fun. Um, I loved I loved the fire festival. I I've seen some things on this journey that I never would have seen if I had, if uh, I had stayed where I was. Um, and it's changed my perspective on on just life in general. And uh, I don't regret this for a moment. <laughs> There's this scene. Uh, this particular scene is framed interestingly. Um, I should mention that this was the first movie that um, Kurosawa filmed that was in widescreen. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So a lot of the shots use that composite. Uh, he uses that composition to his advantage. Yeah, um, this totally. scene in particular, um, where you see uh, perfectly centered are the three cap- captives, and you see um, you just see uh, Tadakoro's back. So you can't really see his. Uh, his expression, the expression on his face while she's singing this song, um, which I think is is a uh, is kind of brilliant considering um, the events that follow. Um, <clears throat> so uh, they're uh, next morning. They're on their way to um, to get executed, and 
Tarakoro starts singing the song and basically says, fuck it. Um, you know, escape, get out of here. And, and then Yuki says, well, come with us. And rather than, uh, I guess, die with honor, <laughs> uh, he decides, okay, goes with them. Uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, our, our friends Mada Shichi and, and Tahe, um, are back where they first started. They're wandering, uh, penniless, and, and, you know, just downtrodden. And then they, uh, happen upon the horses that have all the gold on them. <laughs> just come down the mountain. Mm-hmm. And now they have to make, uh, they're like, hey, great, we're, we're back in business. And then, of course, they start quarreling again as to how to split it up. Um, well, I found the horses. Uh, you know, I saw them first. Uh, you know, I should, I should get to keep their, you know, the gold. And no, I, you know, this, is, uh, and as, of course, they're bickering. Yeah, they're captured by the Haikawas, uh, who ally themselves with the Akizuki. And they, uh, they're then, um, this is a great scene. Uh, they're, you just see them bowing in front of whoever they have to address. And, uh, then you hear, uh, Mashichi, Tahe, look up. And, uh, it's three, <laughs> three figures that they've never seen before, <laughs> uh, seemingly. <laughs> um, but in reality, um, these, these are the, uh, the very party members that that they have been with the entire time. Uh, Princess Yuki is in her traditional uh, ceremonial getup, and um, General Rokurota is um, resplendent in his uh, in his armor. Uh, looks like a badass, and uh, Tadakoro is there as well. And uh, they basic it, it, this is basically a um, a end of Wizard of Oz moment. <laughs> like oh it was you know it was us the whole time and <laughs> uh, and we're gonna reward you for for what you've done for us so um, they give uh, they give the pair a single gold piece and and Yuki says um, split this split this evenly between the two of you um, he specifically and, says uh, no fighting yeah no fighting no fighting so as they walk walk away from this like this they're walking away from this grand journey, this this amazing uh, experience that no other peasant in a lifetime would ever experience. Uh, you know, we're left with with the two of them, like for once, not bickering about this, and uh, and the, and the film ends. And being kind of like, um, you keep it, no, you keep it. But you know, yeah. I feel like that was a learning moment uh, brought down upon them by Rota that he didn't just like give them each one gold piece. He had like one gold piece for yeah, them to he split. He probably could have given them another one if he really <laughs> wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a teachable moment type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess I forgot to mention that um, that they have another moment. Uh, like the moment that they have when um they're right before the horses come down they have this really great um this really great moment of friendship saying hey when we get back you know when we get back home let's be friends mm-hmm. uh and then they start fighting again and cursing each other out yeah and then when they're captured they have a very similar conversation when they're in prison about well when we die let's be friends in heaven yeah uh <laughs> whenever gold's out of the picture they can be friends yeah yeah. But yeah, I love I love the like snap of the fingers. Let's be friends when we're back in the village. And then as soon as they round up the horses and one of them gets more horses than the other, they're back to like they they immediately start fist fighting over it. Yeah. Um. So uh, before we before we continue on, um, 
something that I actually tried, I was looking into right before recording this, uh, very briefly, because I remembered the, um, the guy in the commentary talking about this, uh, how, um, the influence of no theater, uh, mm. was brought up in, in this, uh, and, uh, in particular, uh, in particular, the end, uh, the ceremony, um, how it's shot and the music that is used when, um, when Yuki gets up and walks towards them, like with the percussion, mm-hmm. uh, it's very, it, it it's very evocative of no theater. And what no theater is, uh, it's uh, no is derived from the sino uh, word um, for skill or talent, and it's a, a form of um, like classical Japanese theater, like a like music drama, um, and it's been performed since the 14th century. So, um, like it's. Uh, I thought I I usually attributed all Japanese theater to uh, kabuki, um, but this is not that at all. <laughs> um, no, no, uh, isn't it? Uh, I could be wrong, but no, it's like typically has masks. Like, yes, one of the things that distinguishes it, kind of. Yeah, and um, uh, it's it's brought up that in that scene um, where uh, Yuki is wearing her ceremonial garb, um, uh, how she is made up uh, looks as if she's wearing a, a mm. no style mask. Yeah. Which I, I'm not intimately familiar with the different styles of no masks, but I wouldn't be surprised if each of the characters there corresponded to specific masks. Because uh, while while they're both generals, uh, 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 Tadakoro and uh, Rokurota are, are dressed differently. Rokurota is in full military, like, or full armor, whereas Tadakoro is in, like, formal politicians clothes and it, it seemed like a very deliberate decision to have them like be kind of different distinct aspects of that okay so um so this is interesting uh so the roles um the roles in no um and and we can attribute this to that final scene uh and and where uh and where um yuki tadakoro and Dokuroto are all positioned mm-hmm. So uh, the shite is the uh, protagonist, uh, the leading role in in no plays, and um, usually at the forefront or the center, um, and then on the uh, on the right um, on the right hand uh, is the uh, the waki, which is the, uh, the the counterpart or the foil of of the protagonist. So at that like to the right of Yuki is um, hmm. is the dokurota. And um, which establishes, of course, that at this point Yuki is the protagonist and Dokuro is her foil, um, which is which is interesting. Yeah, that is uh, interesting. Yeah, I'm ju- I'm just looking at this now as, as we're talking. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I I thought that was I thought that was super interesting. Um, I guess I could probably look up a little bit more on the masks, um, but only the but only the protagonist apparently wears the masks. Which is interesting because the way that she's made up looks like a, a no style mask. Okay. Um, so, uh, so that's a fun that's a fun little bit. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I looked into that a bit. Uh, um, I'd also like to to point out the way the specific way that that's shot when she stands up and just mm-hmm. it's a long shot that pans backwards as they all three of them walk towards the camera. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so. Before we get into um, the usual stuff, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Star Wars analogs. Um, 
part of the reason that this episode was chosen for this month is because there's a new Star Wars coming out this month, and um, this year is the 40th anniversary of um, of the first Star Wars. Uh, so what better what better movie to uh, to talk about than the Hidden Fortress? Yeah, you know, um, I mean. I must admit, this is my first time seeing the movie, and leading up to it, basically all I'd ever heard about this movie was about its connection to Star Wars, and it was hard not to kind of, like, watch it and keep thinking about that. I tried my best to kind of remove that a bit and just take the movie on as its own thing, but, um, yeah, I I, I think I maybe overestimated uh, how much, like, I think I kind of basically heard, like, oh, this movie is exactly like Star Wars, only set in... Uh, old timey Japan, and it's like, well, not not exactly, but there's a lot uh, taken from it for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I assumed that it was going to be beat for beat. Um, just like, oh, Star Wars is a remake of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not, um, but there's so many elements. Uh, so <laughs> it's so funny on the on the uh, Criterion Blu-ray. There is a sec. There's actually a a feature. One of the supplements is is George Lucas talking about the Hidden Fortress and how it impacted Star Wars. And he basically says that, oh, well, you know, when I made Star Wars, you know, the only the only uh, conscious decision I made was to have, uh, was to focus on these two lowly characters, uh, you know, Tahe and Matashichi, their analogs, of course, are Tahe being C-3PO and Matashichi being R2-D2. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where it begins and ends. Uh, mm-hmm. The, the uh, <laughs> like, the princess, the princess angle was completely coincidental. And I'm like, Okay, George, I'm gonna have to call you on your bullshit here, because like there's so so much, so many things. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, it, obviously, uh, wipes. Yeah. Uh, as far yeah, as yeah, that as, was the first like, thing that I was like, I was like, whoa, and pointed at the screen because like that is straight up the exact like, kind of visual language. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that Lucas likes to use, and there's a lot of other visual stuff on top of that but that's the the like this is exactly the same yeah yeah like the wipes and transitions are are 100 like yeah that's like that's that's such a star that's part of the star wars language at this point that uh you simply cannot overlook the wipes uh i um so i tried uh making um uh like a like a character uh like character thread thing mm. Uh, where Tahe is 3PO, Matashichi is R2-D2. That has been said. Um, so Yuki is obviously um, like Princess Leia. You know, you have a, a you know, uh, you have to get the princess, you know, uh, she's on a diplomatic mission. You got to, you know, get her to safety. But, um, uh, but not just the, not just that, but like personality wise, how oh, she's yeah. this like brash, outspoken, tomboyish type, but also very compassionate. Yeah, at the like both characters, both characters throughout both films, they kind of do follow the same beats in that like they're both they're both strong, like front to back. They both have um they both have a moment of vulnerability. Um, of course, that's when the scene that we were talking about earlier, where Yuki uh, is mourning the death of uh, uh, uh sister, and then of course when uh when Alderaan is is blown up and in star wars um they both kind of take charge at, at points um and uh they both have you know, they're both very regal at the, at the end of each movie it's it's it, you can't like you can't discount that at all like there's there that's no coincidence um 
but there's a little bit of Luke Skywalker, I would say, in Yuki as well. Hmm. Um, just in terms of, it, simply in terms of the events that happen. Uh, like, when they're going through the ID checkpoint. Leia is obviously not present in that scene in Star Wars, but Luke is. So she's sort of that, that the Luke analog in that. Um, and I was also uh, remarking, of course, of, of when the hidden fortress itself is is burned. Um, there's an analog of when Alderaan gets blown up, sort of, but it's mostly when Luke Skywalker returns to the burning homestead to find his aunt and uncle dead. And then he he's like, well, I have no choice. I have to go with you to Alderaan. Mm -hmm. AKA, I have no, we have no choice. We have to go through this ID checkpoint. We have to go straight through. We can't go around now. Um, Rokurata, of course, is Obi-Wan uh, to the point where when George Lucas was putting together Star Wars, his first choice for Obi-Wan Kenobi was uh, Toshino Mifune. Yeah. Which I, I like, that would be a, such that a different movie. That would have been so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure how well that would have worked, I'll be honest. Um, but there are scenes in this movie where he could be the Han Solo analog as well. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's kind of a mixture of the two. Yeah. I think yeah, he, like, I have a hard time seeing uh, Han Solo because he's, he's not self-interested the same way mm. at, no. at, at any point. But he's definitely a little, it has some roguish charm. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was more, I, I was thinking more along the lines of like how, like, the events correspond to the events in Star Wars. Um, but then again, uh, yeah, so I, I wrote some of these down, so I'll just go right down to them. Wandering the Desert, that's 100% the same thing. Uh, R2-D2 and 3PO are wandering the desert of Tatooine. They, get ca they, they, they have a fight, they split up, they get captured by Jawas, and then they're in the custody of, uh, of Luke Skywalker. Um, same thing happens with uh, Matashichi and, and Tahe. They 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 escape a battle. They quarrel with each other. They split up, um, and then they meet each other again when they're captured uh, to dig for gold. And then when they eventually escape, they meet um, Rokurota. The droids eventually meet Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, of course, uh, the ID check. Um, that's like that is. <sighs> George Lucas, come on, man. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Like, go, come on, pulling one over on the on the guards. Like, you can't tell me that you didn't get the idea from Hidden Fortress. Like, when Luke, Luke and uh, and Obi Wan have to pass the the, the checkpoint mm -hmm. on Mos Eisley, and he has to use the Jedi mind trick in order to uh, to move forward. Rokurota used his own Jedi mind trick and fooled and fooled the uh, fooled that checkpoint. I I like I am I am completely <laughs> the gall that you have George Lucas the gall. Uh, the uh, the scene on horseback I'm going a little uh, out of order but uh, the scene on horseback uh, is uh, has been compared to the trench the trench run hmm. against the, the Death Star and just how it's shot this just long uh, like straight oh, shot. Oh yeah, okay. Which is uh, which I thought was interesting. Um, of course, you have the duel between old frenemies, uh, Tadakoro and um, and Rokurota. That, of yeah. course, could be the Obi-Wan-Vader analog. But, uh, you know, uh, there's no real evil force in this movie like Darth Vader. Yeah, like I said, uh, it's Matashi and, and uh, <laughs> Tahe are like the actual malevolent force in this movie. Yeah. Um, 
but the duel is interesting because uh, I definitely, when it starts out and they're just kind of like circling each other, sizing each other up, I definitely got a lot of uh, vibes of the lightsaber fight in A New Hope. And uh, like, obviously a lot of his kind of staging of that was borrowed, not just from this, but other samurai movies. But then it kind of broke out from that into its own thing. And I was like, man, what if George Lucas had actually bothered to copy the good parts of this fight instead of just them standing around kind of pointing at each other? <laughs> another, another interesting analog is the scar that Tadakana has and, and how he, um, and the change in his character, the slight change in his character from when we see him, uh, have a friendly sort of friendly <laughs> duel with, uh, Rokurota and when, um, they're captured he kind of blames, he blames Orokurota for the fact that like, look at me, I'm disgraced now because of you. Like you didn't finish me off and now I have to live, you know, mm-hmm. I have to live like this, which is basically the story of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. Uh, like that's basically, basically they're the extent of, of uh, how those two characters relate. Yeah. The heroic turn of the, of the antagonist to save the heroes. Yeah. Um, the, the scene at the end, the, 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 the metal scene at the end of Star Wars, where <laughs> they're given the, if you're given the medals is the same as, <laughs> as, as the, uh, as the no scene, um, that we were talking about a moment ago. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, like th- this movie doesn't, uh, of course, follow everything beat for beat in the exact same order. And, and of course, I, I believe that like this, this movie is more of a, uh, it has more of a, a moral to it than um than star wars does star wars of course not only borrows from this movie but the the flash gordon serials uh saturday morning serials of the 1930s and 40s mm-hmm. so i feel like um you know there's there's the comparisons are are there but the same movie they are not um star wars i don't think has that has that you know uh life is short uh message that mm. that um that yuki learns that that sort of um like i don't like yuki and princess leia differ in that yuki's character actually i think grows in this movie i think there's a little bit of a kernel to that in the sense that uh not in the same way but the idea that yuki has has now had a chance to kind of explore the greater world than what she has seen and that's a lot of what luke is is after Mm -hmm. feeling stuck on tatooine and wanting to see what the rest of the world is like and, and getting that in. But it's, it's not a full blown, like I have realized that it is important to do these things. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I had that thought as well. Like that's, I think part of the Luke analog, right? Cause she's sort of following like Luke's hero's journey in a way. Um, cause this is the hero's journey. This is, you know, standard hero's journey stuff where, you know, uh, refusal, uh, you know, refusal to call, eventually you know they get what they want there's a price to pay and then they return to where they uh had been but now they're changed mm-hmm. um uh yeah yuki i think yuki follows that um she's she's the hero quote unquote in in this hero's journey um the one scene that uh where the the scene that i keep thinking about is is the the burning fortress like the hidden fortress it, it burns and then they have no choice but to go forward. Like there's that line that when Luke comes back uh, from the homestead and, and uh, Obi-Wan says, you know, they, 
you would have been killed too, and the droids would be in the hands of the Empire. And then he decides, well, I need to go with you to Alderaan. There's nothing for me here. Um, I want to become a Jedi. Uh, I, I, there's nothing left for me. So I, the like the, like the analogs are so like I think they're so blatant, but they're also broad, uh, sort of broad in in some senses as well. Um, I don't know. Have you any of you, uh, either of you have any more thoughts on this? No, I yeah, I, I was really looking forward to hearing you break it down because I saw some of that stuff, but I missed a lot of it too. So I was like, um, you know, obviously the the two droids uh, th- thing was pretty obvious. The wipes thing is pretty obvious. But I was like, man, I can't wait to really hear Alex get into it and let me like point out all the ways in which they're similar. And I think that's that's really interesting. And I yeah, I do think that like. Uh, while you're saying like, oh, the gall of George Lucas, you're not saying that like the gall of George Lucas to take these elements, you're saying to then deny them later. Yeah. Uh, like, it, yeah, it's completely fine that he like he like just own up to it. Man. Yeah. Like you can't like that interview blew me out of the water because I was like, that is not the only thing that like that was on purpose. Like I refuse to believe that. Yeah, I'm very I'm curious about when that interview that interview is also on the DVD copy that I have, which is from the DVDs from 2001. So I, I, I'd be very yeah. curious about when that interview took place. It was, it was, uh, it was actually conducted then. Okay. Like three, four, so, four that yeah. So that's like in the, the sort of midst of him being in the middle of making the prequels and stuff. And I think at mm-hmm. that point, it's a very different, uh, George Lucas than the George Lucas <laughs> from the seventies. Uh, it is. Yeah. And it's also funny that you mentioned that too, because, um, this also like the prequels also have, like some elements taken from Hidden Fortress as well, like the uh, the handmaiden decoy thing. Mm. Like that's 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 like a huge element in this movie, and it's also a big element in the Phantom Menace a movie, the movie that we dare not speak its name, but <laughs> we have to sometimes. Uh, oh, one thing I didn't bring up: the cantina. Like, the, there's a cantina scene in this movie. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it's where they get the farm girl. Yeah, yeah, basically. totally. And then they have to uh, then they escape basically by the skin of their teeth. <laughs> Like, yeah, like they escape that town more or less and they're pursued by TIE fighters, a.k.a. Um, uh, the the opposing army. Hmm. And then that's when he runs into uh, Tadakor for the first time. So, yeah, there's uh, it's the similarities are there, but they're so like disjointed that it's it was hard for me to like be like, oh, well, here's one to one. This is happening. And then this is happening. I just just wrote down a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, but now we can get and we can continue on with uh, with our, our regularly scheduled program uh, <laughs> and we can talk about uh, what you all thought of the movie. Uh, and, uh, I liked I it. Yeah, we'll start with you, Joe. I, yeah. you know, I'd say this isn't in my like top tier of Kurosawa movies, but like, you know, mid to lower tier Kurosawa is still like excellent stuff, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I was like, I was finished it and I was kind of like. Yeah, that was good. I, I was I I really enjoyed watching it. Um, it's it was fun going through it with you guys and like kind of like laughing so much. It really does uh, give credit to that that idea of it being a comedy or at least like a comedic romp, like Scott was saying. Like, um, so yeah, it was it was very enjoyable to watch. Um, what were you guys' general thoughts? Uh, this was my first time seeing it as well, and I was surprised at how like lighthearted it was. Most of the Kurosawa stuff I've seen has been pretty dour, and occasionally has like lighthearted moments. But this is just like 
like I said earlier, just a fun action movie and uh, is is really cute and funny and had some good, uh, some surprisingly, like, the, 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 like you said, we're talking about the horseback scene earlier, just shooting that must have been incredibly difficult mm-hmm. to capture it the way they did. Uh, so it still has a lot of like Kurosawa hallmarks of of quality and innovation. What uh, struck me the most is we think of Kurosawa, uh, or in in America, a lot of people think of Kurosawa as representing like Japan and having a lot of. He does so many samurai movies. It's all about like honor and Japanese tradition and stuff. But we talked about in the Ikiru episode how uh, Kurosawa is actually like pretty strongly countercultural in a lot of ways. And this movie represents it too, because uh, Rokurota spares Tadakoro instead of finishing him off kind of how honor would dictate. But that choice both uh, leads to Rokurota and Yuki's salvation. But the idea that in general, that compassion can trump honor uh, it seems like a comparatively radical one for a samurai movie. Yeah. I, I really, speaking on the themes, like one of the things that I liked a lot about it was um, what it says about greed and like in particular the fact that it kind of begins or at least the plans begin with Rokurata saying like we can rely on their greed uh, in regards to enlisting the help of uh, Taihei and uh, Matashichi. Um, and this is a moment where like he is a guy who you see time and time again, him kind of always having control of the situation and being able to make the right decisions and stuff. But like, I feel like he almost underestimates (laughs) their greed and what it would get them into because like counting on these peasants greed is, was like almost their downfall several times. Uh, Oh yeah. yeah. 100%. Like, like, uh, like you, like you said, Scott, um, (laughs) Everything that everything that happens, like everything that befalls this party, basically is in in a negative way is uh, basically due to Madashichi and, and Tahe, and and uh, <laughs> it kind of sucks. But um, but it also like it, it's very interesting because uh, at no point during that does Nokrota like punish them for it. It's true. Like yeah, yeah, I know. I think part of that is he's just kind of like. Well, this is it. It's in their nature to do this. And one reading of the a, a kind of cursory reading could be like, "Oh, they're peasants. This is just what peasants do." And so he's accepting of it. But on the other hand, there is the the farmer's daughter who is also a peasant, but shown to be like fiercely devoted to protecting the life of of Princess Yuki. So it's not just kind of a, a classist thing. But he recognizes that these two are just greed monsters yeah and are going to do that (laughs) and he sort of is like well this is what i've gotten us into i i decided that this was going to be the plan and so i'm going to just deal with it best i can you know yeah Yeah. i wonder i wonder if part of it was also well these guys might come back around which is good because we need all the help that we can get Mm -hmm. Uh, or maybe that was just like we need all the help we can get if these guys aren't trustworthy well we just have to figure that out which is which is kind of interesting because in that way in some ways then uh uh Tahe and Mashichi are um are the Hansel and Chewbacca <laughs> in that in that regard is yeah that's interesting so yeah uh 
Uh, so this is my first time seeing it. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought it moved really, really fast um, for a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like some of his movies can be a little, a little slow, but um, but not in a bad way, of course. Uh, this one moved. There's so much happens in it. Like so much happens in this movie. Um, that there, it's, it, there are a couple bits that I felt were still plotting, like or go on a little too long when they're like breaking the sticks, looking for gold and stuff. But a lot of the m- slower moments, like when they're climbing that mountain, are yeah. supposed to be kind of excruciating, so they're effective in that way. Well, like the first hour of the movie, not a whole lot happens. Um, but then every, but I think that's that's what I mean. Like everything is just like everything comes comes to a head. Like in that second hour, mm-hmm. um, things just start really moving. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's we, breezy by Kurosawa standards. <laughs> it is, yeah. And and I'll agree with Joey saying and, and and saying that like yeah, not not the best Kurosawa I've seen, but it's definitely good. Um, and uh, and yeah. Um, so you guys have uh, favorite scenes? I mean, of course you did. But what are your favorite scenes in the movie? Uh, I I I found myself uh, really into, and we've we've remarked on this, but the relationship between Rokurota and Tadakoro. Um, you know, uh, first of all, it gives us like the cool kind of duel in the middle of the movie, which, um, uh, I thought was a really cool fight. Like I, it, like when I, when I think of samurai battles, I typically think of like two guys with swords. So using the spear, uh, was an interesting, uh, weapon and Mm -hmm. to feature and they did some really interesting stuff with it. And I really loved the way that they kind of interacted with the structures around them and the environment. They like. There's a moment where like Rokurota <laughs> is getting like uh, backed into a corner kind of and then is able to kind of slip out of it and they're poking each other through the uh, fabric and stuff. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff uh, through that that scene on its own. But then um, but kind of getting back to their actual relationship, like I love the way that it shifted back and forth between being friendly and adversarial uh, within just that scene Uh and then, um, as we remarked on, when he comes back with that scar on his face, it's sort of like, it does at first give you the impression like that his life has gone downhill from that moment, and it really he his life should have ended there, uh, with uh, it should have had ended with an execution rather than uh, Rokurota walking off and sparing his life, but um, but then with him joining them and the princess and saving them. Uh, we see that he did, in fact, make the right decision by sparing his life. And I, I what I really like about that is this, this sort of look at uh, the idea of long-term effects of what you do uh, versus the short-term effects of what happens in life. Uh, I thought that was really interesting and cool. Scott? Uh, I think my favorite scene is actually when uh, Yuki first... Uh, not her, her complete first appearance, but when... Uh, Marashichi and Tahe are following her through the woods. Uh, mm. Yuki is probably my favorite character in the movie, and I actually like her like lemon grab shrieking <laughs> tone all the time. <laughs> um, but it's that scene where she shows up and they they're just kind of following her, and she is walking around like whipping at them with her with her uh, stick and hitting them in the face with the with trees and bushes and stuff is just like super playful. I like her a lot. That lets you know a lot about how 
what her personality is like and gives you the impression that she can really handle herself no problem. Yeah. Yeah, I realize I realize now that we that I I forgot to mention the bit where they're following her through the woods, but That's all right. We got back uh, to it. It's Yeah, it's fine. I I assuming listeners have seen the movie already, so it's whatever. Um Yeah. Uh So my favorite scene uh I was going to I was also going to do the duel as well uh, cuz it's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um but uh, I also really like the scene where um, where uh, Yuki and Dokurota and the Harm's Daughter are captured, mm. and and like Yuki's that's where Yuki des- decides that she's she's going to die with dignity, and um, she sings the song, and uh, like that carrying into the next scene where uh, Tadakura helps them out. Um, I really love that actually, and I and I what I really love about that scene is that he come he goes with them. Yeah. Um, as opposed to um, like just dying, because that's that's like I've completely out of left field. Like, whoa, that normally never happens. Like, normally he's like, no, you go, I'll stay here and die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, die. I'll go down with honor. And or they have like, one more duel them. that's sort of kind of like let's end this type thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I loved I loved that that was like it was sort of a subversion of of that trope. Um, and come to think of it, that's another Star Wars analog. It's like Han Solo comes back to save, uh, save them in the end, mm. uh, mm. the Millennium Falcon. Like that's, that's another, another, uh, thread that you can, <laughs> you can pull. Jesus, I keep, I keep finding them. <laughs> um, but yeah, that like where, where Yuki, Yuki realizes, um, not realizes, but where she basically just tells the audience, well, here's my, this is my, uh. This is what I've learned on this journey. Like, I kind of love that. It puts the whole thing into perspective. It's not the and, destination, but the journey. And you talked about the framing of that scene earlier, yeah. just the way it's shot with that kind of like wide static shot of Tadakoro's back and the prisoners and while she's singing is just kind of haunting. It is, yeah. Um, and she sings the whole song, which is like, and he sits there, he doesn't stop her, he sit, stands there and listens and he knows... Who knows what he's thinking um, until the next scene, and then you know what he's thinking. Like it's, it, it that that's like a tense moment, and um, and then it, it's like a, it's lighthearted and there's victory to it. Like, uh, usually, like you mentioned, Kurosawa's films are kind of like uh, more somber, uh, so to speak. Yeah, that definitely. I like that you compared it to the Ikiru uh, moment with him singing the song as well. Yeah, it's 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 almost like the same moment, but mm. a very different yeah. movie and circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that we haven't touched on that I wanted to mention, this is the last thing in my notes that I have, but it is I just wanted to point out how great the environments uh, look and how they add to the movie. Oh, man. Uh, yes. This plus the fact that, that it's a Mifune movie, like really reminded me of uh, Samurai, uh, Samurai 1, Miyamoto Musashi, the, the episode that we had done last year. Uh, where just the this like there's those rocky caves and mountains and stuff and then this is sort of like later these like lush forests and stuff that they really give the movie a lot of personality yeah they do um it's it's actually kind of like kind of crazy like that they would like because those i'm pretty sure are not sets right those are no those are actual locations maybe the the, the some of them like the spring yeah yeah i think that that's a set and maybe a couple others, but mostly I'm pretty sure they just shot on outdoor locations. 
Man, those mountains and yeah. stuff, they look so yes. good. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Okay, um, well, I, I suppose that covers it, unless I'm missing anything, right? That's all I had. We talked about... I think, yeah, that's all talk, I had, too. I mean, I, I, well, I kind of... I mean, I didn't really make any notes about the music. Mm. Um, I mean, Sato is... He's, uh, you know, he's... Uh, you know, he, he composes all of, all of uh, Kurosawa's films. Um... I did mention the the percussion at the end of uh, the salt, the um the ceremony scene mm-hmm. um which I'll probably throw up a sound bite or something but uh either way um oh I, I think this is interesting to mention that uh that the screenplay was written by um by a team of writers including Kurosawa hmm. and I didn't know this but Kurosawa didn't like he uses the same several people to write his movies um, Ryuzo uh, Kikishima, Hideo uh, Ugini, uh, those are the two um, that primarily like uh, write uh, the screenplays for his movies, in addition to himself, and uh, Shinobu Hashimoto also contributed to the screenplay as well. Um, I figured I should mention that yeah. because I thought it was interesting that like he uses the same team of writers mm-hmm. um, and does very different movies. Uh, okay, well that, that wraps up uh, Hidden Fortress. Um, uh, what do we have in store for next month? Uh, next month, which will be the beginning of uh, the next year. Um, I, I like the idea of building a New Year's tradition. And so as we'd sort of mentioned or kind of mused earlier in the year, uh, I think we're going to uh, return to the world of Torasan uh, with Torasan's Love Call. That's the um, eighth film in the uh, Otoko Watsurayo uh, film series from 1971. And uh, I think a cool thing about moving forward with some of these long series like Torasan, Godzilla, Trekyaro, is that we've now uh, laid the groundwork for them in the first episodes where we talk about their legacy and, and all that stuff. And now we can just kind of get into the films themselves. So, uh, you know, these should be kind of a nice <laughs> standard length episode rather than the kind of jam-packed ones uh, from those initial go-arounds. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about this one with you. It's a really great one. Uh, spoiler alert, it, it heavily features uh, our bud, uh, Takashi Shimura, so uh, that's one of the reasons <laughs> why I chose it. Um, so yeah, and while he had sort of a minor role in this film, uh, it'll be fun to uh, see him a bit more uh, in this next one. Great. That's awesome. Uh, well, I, I heavily look forward to that. I loved the, I loved, uh, the first Torasan. Um, okay, well, uh, then... Uh, oh, I wanted to give a special uh, thanks um, to... Uh, to um uh, so this was a, a listener suggestion this episode yeah yeah oh gosh we almost wait, made it through without mentioning that <laughs> yeah so, uh, Joshua uh, Pong who's uh, yeah. at Pongzilla on Twitter uh, suggested this to yeah. us yeah thank you Joshua uh thank you very much uh this was something that we wanted to do in, anyway so this was perfect um so uh without that out of the way uh it's time for plugs um you can find me of course on Twitter at dude exclamation all one word. Um, I'm also on Instagram, so uh, check that out, I suppose, if you want. Um, I am on the One Piece podcast occasionally, uh, so check that out as well if you're into One Piece. And um, uh, it's December, so uh, if you're going to be at MAGFest uh, in Washington, D.C., I'll be putzing around there. I'm not doing anything there except for hanging out, so um, I guess get get at me on Twitter if you want to meet up or something. <laughs> uh, Scott? Uh, I am Friska Chat on Twitter, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Um, 
I will probably have a uh, personal game of the year list by the time this goes up. Uh, I'll it'll probably be posted to Tumblr. My Tumblr is Viria V Y R I A, but I haven't been using it much except to make the occasional like blog type post. I'll link that from my Twitter. And uh, check that out in case you want to know some of the games from this year that you might have missed or overlooked or just, like, what's good. Cool. And uh, I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter and joeyweiser.tumblr.com for updates about uh, what I'm doing in comics. Uh, I'm a cartoonist, and my graphic novel series Merman uh, is all out now. It's five volumes that you can buy in hardcover, digital, and the soft covers are coming out. Um Keep an eye out, or actually, I'd request that you uh, pre-order uh, Volume 4, Softcover, is coming out uh, in the early part of the year, I think February. So, uh, yeah, just just keep an eye on my Twitter and, and uh, Tumblr and stuff for updates about that, um, as well as, like, events for the next year that I'll be going to and stuff like that. Um, and then also, please follow us, uh, Toho Yaro, on Twitter, or like Toho Yaro on Facebook, you can email us, tohoyara at gmail.com, um, and we're always taking suggestions like this one. Uh, it helps uh, us out a lot because we're trying to do, uh, each of us are do like a suggestion a, uh, a year. So we've got three suggestion slots that need to be filled uh, next year. So let us know if you've got something that you'd like to uh, hear us talk about. Um, and then, as always, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we've got a couple of those up now, and it would really uh, help us out a lot if you let us know what you think about the show. Yeah, and tell other people you know about it. Um, word of mouth is always a good way uh, to to get the get the good word out of, of the Toho guys. Yeah. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And if you don't use iTunes, um, we're also on any other podcast app that you choose. I personally like Overcast. Um but that's just me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can go to, um, I think it's tohoyaro.onepiecepodcast.com and something like that is our is our uh, main homepage where we've got everything laid out with links to how you can listen to us and stuff like that. Yep. And if you want to watch the movie that we watched, which is something that I really should have said <laughs> at the beginning of the episode, um, there's a really great Criterion Blu-ray out for Hidden Fortress. Um, and, uh, yep. Nice. <laughs> So uh, that about does it for this month. Uh, stay tuned next month for the eighth installment uh, of the Otokuwa Tsurayo series, uh, Torasan's Love Call. Yep, that's right. right? Torasan's Love Call. Boom, I got it. I got it. All right. I'm really well, excited to see how Torasan has grown and matured as a character. Oh, <laughs> get your hopes up. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next month. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Matashishi, I'm sorry. Right. Matashishi, motherfucker. Yeah, his name's tough. Yeah. I remember just Shichi like like seven. Mata seven is what they would call him in another seven. In the Hong Kong, Hong Kong dub or Hong Kong sub.